Welcome back to It's an Inside Job podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lim, and this podcast is dedicated to helping you to help yourself and others to become more mentally and emotionally resilient so you can be better at bouncing back from life's inevitable setbacks. Now, on It's an Inside Job, we decode the science and the stories of resilience into practical advice, skills, and strategies that you can use to impact your life and those around you. Now, thanks for spending some time with me today. With that said, let's dive in. Welcome back to It's an Inside Job. This week, I want to jump into a specific skill, and that is active awareness and how we can use it as a skill, as a tool to help us to become more resilient. This episode is going to dive a little more into the brain science because part of what I think is important when we are talking about resilience is understanding some of the mechanics, understanding some of the neuroscience, the brain science of how we tick. If we understand the underlying mechanism under something, then that gives us such much more latitude and flexibility to use those skills in an, in an adaptive way depending upon the challenges or the changes that we are facing. So this week, I'm going to be diving into something called the Reticular Activating System, or the RAS. Now, my idea here is not to lose you into the science. This is not a textbook lecture. It is not a neuroscience lecture. But again, if we can understand some of these mechanisms... That can give us a sense of independence, a sense of autonomy that we are not just ruled by our brain, but that our brain is like any other organ. And it's the mind that controls the brain and not the other way around. Now, what do I mean? I want you to think about your brain like a puppy. You know, you buy yourself a cute little puppy and he's sitting in your kitchen and you're playing with him and he's rolling around, wagging his tail and doing what puppies do. You know, you do this for two or three hours. You don't tire of it. Neither does the little puppy. But at some point, that puppy does its business on your floor. Now, do you get mad at the puppy? No. A puppy's going to do what a puppy's going to do. You need to take that dog outside and train it to do its business when you're taking it for a walk. Well, do we get mad at the brain when it it goes into overthinking or rumination or it goes into some sort of anxiety spiral? No. The brain will do what the brain has to do. What we want to do is to train that brain as we would train the puppy. And so this episode is going to dive into how we can use active awareness and how we can use that active awareness to build our emotional and mental and psychological resilience. remember that game Tetris? I think many of us got caught up in that absorbing and addictive video game way back in 84. I mean, it was created by a Soviet software engineer, but it just, just took off. It was, it was viral. You know, since then, you can, you can find this game in different formats and on different platforms. But the curious thing with Tetris is that when we spend too much time playing that game, we succumb to something called the Tetris effect. And <laughs> I've experienced this myself. You know, you begin to think and you dream. And you start seeing mental images of Tetris everywhere. 
I actually had to do a little more research, and I, I thought this was kind of fun, funny because it really related, really resonated with me. And this has everything to do with active awareness. Now, according to Wikipedia, this is a quote from them. They said, People who have played Tetris for a prolonged amount of time can find themselves thinking about ways different shapes in the real world can fit together, such as the boxes on a supermarket shelf or the buildings on the street. They may see colored images of pieces falling into place on an invisible layout at the edges of their visual field or when they close their eyes. They may see see such colored moving images when they are falling asleep. Now, that that has happened to me. It was many years ago, but I I recall it quite vividly. So let's let's take this. Now, I want to shift to something completely, a, a completely different phenomenon. What I want to do is talk about tax auditors for a second. Yes, I know it's not the most exciting, but they they these professionals serve a very important job. You know, tax auditors on average spend eight to ten hours checking for mistakes and errors. So the question is, when they get so good at what they do, they like any profession, they get promoted to a manager where they need to lead and manage people. Now, in a great majority of cases, what happens is that these tax auditors that become managers, they tend to only see the errors and mistakes that their team members bring to them. You know, they'll bring a project and the first thing they'll say is like mistakes and errors. Now, this is not because they're negative or pessimistic. No, it's been their job for how many years, their education, their experience. It has wired their brain. So their brains are so wired to catch mistakes that that's the first thing they think. The first thing they see are problems, are mistakes. So the question is, if we've trained our brain to see all the fires that need extinguishing, then of course our brain is constantly going to look for those fires. You know, if you think about it, if you're a presidential bodyguard, what do you train for? You're looking for all the sketchy people out there, all the shady characters that have some sort of nefarious purpose. But the same thing comes down to pessimism or optimism. If I'm wired to be a little more optimistic, the chances are I'm going to see more opportunities. But if I'm more pessimistic, per se, in my mindset, then I will tend to see more of the obstacles. I'm not saying either mindset is negative or positive. Mindsets serve a different purpose. They are the transition between the unconscious and the conscious. That's how the brains communicate. But the thing is, we can choose our mindsets. So if, I see, if I'm trained to see fires all the time, I'm going to be looking for smoke. But if I'm trained to see possibilities and opportunities, then the solutions will present themselves in my environment. There's a particular structure in the brain called the reticular activating system. From here on out, I will refer to this system as the RAS. Now, this structure, it it starts above our spinal cord. It's about five centimeters long and about, uh, about the width of a pencil. You know, except for our sense of smell, all our other senses connect to the RAS. Now, this 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 structure, it sits between our brain and the senses, and it filters what sensory information gets through and what doesn't. In other words, it it acts as a bridge that connects our subconscious part of our brain with our conscious part of our brain. So at any given time, only a certain amount of information that is helpful to our brain gets through. So for instance, if there's a predator or something that's about to attack me, 
The only information my brain needs right now is run. Look at that predator, it's coming at you. The RAS, it will disregard any other irrelevant information like the color of the, of the flowers or the, the clouds in the sky. I'm only worried about that lion coming at me. So the RAS only filters sensory information relevant to our attention. In this case, survival. Remember, we've talked about this in previous episodes. Like any other organ, the heart pumps blood, the brain pumps survival. But at the same time, this RAS is very important because it filters out irrelevant, non-essential information from my conscious mind. All right, now let's, let's take this, this conversation one step further. Let's connect the RAS to behavior. You know, for those of you who drive, you can jump back into time and think about when you were behind the wheel for the first time learning to drive. It was a mixture of emotions, of anticipation and anxiety and excitement. You were looking forward to it, but maybe your hands were a little clammy. You were a little nervous. Well, this is normal. This is completely normal. It's something new. But once driving became a well-worn habit, you know, you know, you didn't have to think about that skill anymore. The term is unconscious competent. We were unconsciously competent at that point. The skill of driving had just become automated. You know, and once a skill has become a habit, any information around it is not pertinent anymore. It's not important as when we were first learning to master that skill. So in the case of driving, the RAS will tend to actively block information connected with the automated driving skill. Instead, what it will do, it will prioritize other details. You know, that might be breaking lights of the car ahead of us, you know, which suddenly just flashes red. You know, our RAS would filter this information to our attention so we could react in time by slamming on the brakes. Let's say this summer you, you, you decide to visit Japan. And you're there in Tokyo and Kyoto and you, you want to get around. So you will probably most likely want to rent a car. So driving in Japan is definitely going to be a different experience than what you're used to driving at home. Now, there, there are going to be similarities, of course, stop signs and such and, and, and the traffic lights. But the signage is going to be different. You know, some of the markings on the road are going to be different. And thus, the rules of the road are also going to be different. And most likely, you know, part of that signage will be in Japanese. And if you don't read Japanese, well, that's going to add a layer of challenge and complexity to getting around. Now, probably driving in Japan for a lot of us will feel very similar to how we felt when we first jumped behind the wheel, when we first learned to, to drive. It will be an, uh, a mixture of anticipation and anxiety and a little bit of excitement. We will be more attentive to everything going around us. We will not be as relaxed as we drive, as we would drive in our home city. Driving in Tokyo is going to definitely awaken our attention to a different level. Now, the reason is, is that your RAS does not have any information to know what to filter. So it has to let everything through. And when all this information gets through, that's a lot for the brain to process. And so the normal reaction of the brain is to stress. 
Now, I'm not saying it's negative stress or it's positive stress. It's just stress. We can feel it. There's a heightened level of awareness. Our heart rate will increase. Our palms might get sweaty or a little clammy. And all the other autonomic reactions of a heightened mental state. Now, what I'd like to share with you is an excellent study that illustrates actually how the RAS works in real time. Now, this study looked at couples with newborns that lived near major airports. The study found that both parents would sleep right through, even though a plane was taking off nearby. And you can imagine how loud, how extremely loud that jet would be. Yet, what they found was that the mother would wake up at the slightest stirring of the baby next door, in the next room. And when you think about a stirring baby or the screaming of a jet engine, the baby's going to be making a lot less noise. But here's the thing. The mother is operating on the thought that the welfare of her child is significantly more important than the sounds of that jet plane. So this thought she has, it programs the RAS to block out the sounds of a roaring jet engine, but at the same time to be hypersensitive to the sounds of her stirring child just in the room next door. Now, interestingly, the dad often didn't wake up with a crying baby. So what the researchers did, they took mom away for a few days. And guess what? As you may guess, dad started suddenly getting up when the baby cried. Why? Well, I think you've already drawn the conclusions, but let me connect the dots. Before, the information wasn't necessary. The crying child wasn't necessary to die because he knew mom was there to tend to the child. But now that mom's gone, all of a sudden, the father had the thought that my child's welfare is important, more important than me getting sleep. And so he had reprogrammed his RAS. So now that when the child stirred, he got up to tend to his child. And this wasn't just one dad. This was done multiple times with multiple fathers. I think one of the important conclusions we can draw from this study is that the RAS, though it's a physical structure in the brain, can be programmed. And it's programmed by what? By what us as individuals deem as a priority, what we feel is important or essential. Anything that is pertinent to us, the RAS will use this as a parameter as part of its programming to bring to our awareness any information in our surrounding environment that is relevant. Daniel Kahneman, the author of Thinking Fast and Slow, a a great read. It was written in 2012. There was a quote I pulled from that, and I think it's so relevant. He said that, Nothing in life is as important as you think it is when you think about it. All right. So, so far we've established that Only essential and relevant sensory information gets past our RAS. And what is defined as critical information is entirely specific on the individual. So what you think is essential and what I think is essential is going to be different. And so our RASs will filter based upon those parameters. So we can use this fundamental understanding to our advantage. That means we can consciously decide what is important to us. And in turn, our RAS will draw our attention to any information in our surrounding environment that corroborates our own individual interest. 
Now, for example, I remember my wife and I, when we had our first child, everything associated with my baby boy became essential to me. And also, every time I walked into a grocery store, I started seeing diapers everywhere. Where before my son came to the world, I was completely and utterly oblivious to them. You know, likewise, you know, when I when I walked down the down the street, all of a sudden I started seeing baby strollers everywhere, as well as you know the occasional pacifier that was accidentally discarded by I don't know its owner, some baby. I didn't see baby related things before because it wasn't really relevant to my narrative. But once my boy became part of that narrative. Anything and everything that I connected as meaningful to my boy was brought to my attention by my RAS. Now, we can experiment with our RAS with very simple objectives. For example, the next time you go for a walk or for a run, give yourself a goal to be aware of things that you would not, that would sort of typically go under your radar that you wouldn't be aware of. Perhaps it's counting the number of church spires down your route. Maybe count the number of yellow cars, the number of dog walkers. It could be mailboxes or fire hydrants. It doesn't matter what it is. But the idea is to start being conscious of what is important. So your RAS filters that. And what does that mean? You just have to say, you know what? I want to see how many mailboxes I see on this 30-minute walk. You know what? That's all it needs. And all of a sudden, you're starting to see mailboxes everywhere. So it doesn't matter what you choose. You know, the list is, is endless. The goal is to consciously choose what you want to be aware of and then program your RS to filter for that variable. When we're out and about and we're, we're, we're doing our things and we use this little practice of putting something in our minds and then searching for it, I mean, it's, it's interesting and it's something we can do, but it's not a cost. It's, it's an investment. Because here's the thing. This is actually a strong cognitive practice. It can have significant impact when we find ourselves in a negative, pessimistic, emotional, and mental state. When we feel vulnerable, when we feel we lack confidence and self-doubt is flourishing inside of us. In the state, it is self-explanatory that when we are in a pessimistic state, we will have a pessimistic outlook. And we understand how the RAS works. And so whatever our belief is at that time, or as Daniel Kahneman, whatever is important for us at that moment is the most important thing. Our RAS will look for those things in our environment to bring to our attention that supports our beliefs. So our RAS is neither good nor bad. It will work depending upon what's parameters and what program we give it. And that is what will filter to us. So if we get into the practice of getting out there and being deliberate and conscious and being attentive of how we use our active awareness, then we can choose what we want to program our RAS with. So when we are in a negative mind state, then we can consciously say to ourselves, okay, I need to start looking for opportunities. I need to look for possibilities. I need to look for places where I have control, where I have a sense of influence, where I have autonomy, where I have agency. When we program our brains that way, when we use active awareness, this automatically programs our RAS. And what does it do? The RAS will do its job. 
it will filter for any information in our surrounding environment, anything and everything that supports our belief. What I'd like to do now is to take a moment and to give you specific cognitive tools that are much more refined at programming your reticular activating system, your RAS. Now, the first tool I want to talk about is called 324. Now, basically, it's this. It's pretty simple. It's you know, I want you to think about three new things you are grateful for in the last 24 hours. Now, the critical point here is the word new, something fresh. And I want you to think something that stood out in the last 24 hours that you're grateful for. I mean, it could be a small thing or it could be a big thing. But here's the thing. Our brains get better at it by actively searching for novel and positive experiences each day. And so this act of awareness strengthens those neural networks. And over a short period, we actually become more depth, more skilled, better at noticing those positives that are already latent in our environment. Now, a second cognitive practice, a second tool is something we can call the doubler. Now, think about a positive experience you've had in the last day, the last 24 hours, and then I want you to, in bullet form, I want you to write down every detail of that experience. Now, this list may include what you were thinking, perhaps what you were saying, what you were doing, maybe who you were with, where you were. Perhaps you're considering what you were doing. Now, here's the salient point. The brain cannot distinguish between visualization and an authentic experience. It perceives them both in the same way. The only thing that distinguishes reality from fantasy is this little bit of our brain called the consciousness, this consciousness. You know, have you ever dreamt and all of a sudden you, you kind of, in that dream, you kind of trip over or you fall down some stairs and you kind of, you lash out, you flinch? Well, that's, that's the brain actually doing that. The reason we do it is because the conscious brain is not up and running. It's not online to distinguish this difference between an authentic experience and a visualized experience. So we can use this to our advantage. So one of the most effective ways is actually to write down the details of this positive experience or positive situation we experienced in the last 24 hours. Now, here's the thing. By journaling about a positive experience, our brain is actually doubling it for us. We are experiencing that that uh, situation twice. So if we continuously do this over a, a period of time, let's say a month, our brain actually creates a habit of automatically connecting the dots for us to actually making those positive points of our day more salient to us. It starts bringing, our RAS starts bringing that information automatically to our attention. And this habit transforms how the brain and the body work. At the heart of all of this, regardless of the science, active awareness, the skill of active awareness is the essence of resilience. It's the core of resilience. Where we choose to invest our attention is what we obviously is flagged as important. When something is important to us, it means we've assigned a level of value. And that value means we've given that thing, that object, that person, a level of meaning. And it's this meaning that defines the search patterns of our RAS. This in turn creates the lens of how we literally perceive the world outside of us and 
within us. And so those parameters, they determine how and what we pay attention to and also how we engage and disengage with the world. For example, psychologists have found when we or anyone is in a depressed state, you know, they will tend not to notice or pay attention to the moments when they are feeling good throughout any given day. Now, this is not a conscious choice. This is just part of that automatic processing. So depending upon whatever mood is dominant at that certain point, that will act as the filter of the information that our RAS will make available to us. You know, additionally, when we find ourselves as depressed, the only memories, when we recall memories that come to mind, are from our current viewpoint. So our entire past can become colored by our present identity. So once what may have been a really positive and uplifting experience gets filtered through our current narrative, and if that is a depressive narrative, we won't see the joy or the uplifting points of that past experience. We will just see it in muted and gray colors. So what happens when we encounter stress and struggle? I always feel that you know stress is the great litmus test of how we're using skills of active awareness or any cognitive skill. And the, the questions that come to mind that we can all ask ourselves are, are we embracing the struggle or are we disengaging with it? You know, at, at, at the moment when you're feeling stress, what is the narrative pouring through your head? You know, what is the narrative that you're assigning to the stress? What is the meaning you're giving to the stress? Another question we can ask ourselves is, what are the labels we are sticking to the situation? What are the labels we putting onto ourselves? Are we calling ourselves weak, vulnerable, stupid, ineffective, overwhelmed? Well, those labels, they also become the parameters in which our RAS will search for information in that outside environment that supports or concurs with our label or our belief of ourself. The core of resilience is about changing how we perceive stress. Do we embrace the struggle or do we run from it? Do we cower under the pressure? As we've explored in previous episodes, the struggle, embracing the struggle, it's a signpost telling us we're headed in the right direction of learning, growing, and developing. You know, stress, stress is not neither a good thing or a bad thing. If we look at it in neutral terms, stress is actually necessary for biological and neurological development. It, strength of, it strengthens us, and in its ability to fortify us depends on the meaning we give it. So active awareness implies that we are the author of our experience. We confront our reality in two ways. We can do it intentionally, or we can do it reactively. We are the ones who intentionally assign the meaning to our experience. And we are the ones that are constantly formulating the story. All it requires of us is that we are attentive and cognizant to the words we are ascribing to our ongoing narrative. As we wrap up this episode, I just want to address the reticular activating system again. You know, the RAS is a small part of our brain, but it's, a, it's an important part of our brain. And it has enormous implications on how we use it. You know, if we use the skill of active awareness, it means we can get the RAS to work for us and not against us. As with all things, we have the freedom and the choice to ascribe whatever meaning we would like. 
I guess the final question we have to ask ourselves is this: Do we assign that meaning reactively or intentionally? Well, thanks for joining me this week. I will see you next week. Until then, keep well, keep strong. We'll speak soon. Thank you.